Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. Welcome to Sound Prince for the week of January 1, 2023. We're pleased to let you know that the large print calendars provided each year by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club are now available upon request. They measure a big 11 by 17 inches and have plenty of room for writing appointments, notes, etc. Request a calendar by calling the Kentucky Council of the Blind at 502-895-4598 or emailing us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Calendars are provided through the generosity of the Louisville Downtown Club. They are also available from the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation. Give them a call at 502-429-4460. Here are some events coming up in the next two weeks. Be sure to watch the KCB events email list for more activities. To subscribe to the list, send a blank message to kcb-events plus, and that's a plus sign, subscribe, S-U-B, S-C-R-I-B-E at A-C-B lists, L-I-S-T-S dot O-R-G. The Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold its first virtual meeting of the new year at 8 p.m. on Wednesday, January 4, on the KCB Zoom line, and its first in-person support group meeting on Monday, January 9, from 1 to 2.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Our first hybrid meeting of Roundabout for the new year will be on Friday, January 6, from 4 to 9 p.m. in person at UCHM and from 7 to 9 p.m. on Zoom. Between 4 and 7, we'll socialize with friends, have a demo, and one-on-one opportunities to check out the blind shell phone and have dinner at around 5 p.m. From 7 to 9, we'll join the Zoom line for a chance to share what we received for Christmas, our hopes for the new year, and ideas for topics for Roundabout in the coming months. For the in-person Roundabout, please make return rides between 9 and 9.15 p.m. Roundabouts are held at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. The phone number for the Zoom line is... 669-900-6833 and the code is 862-9889-6972. The January meeting of the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired in Owensboro, Savvy, is Tuesday, January 10, and the first meeting of the new year for ACB families will be on Sunday, January 15. All of these calls will be on the Zoom line. Call 669-900-6833 and enter the code 862-9889-6972. The South Central Kentucky Council of the Blind in Bowling Green will continue to hold its social hour each Wednesday in the new year on its Zoom line at 669-900-6833. The code is 763-689. 4411. Tri-State Library users book 
for January is a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court by Mark Twain. If you've never read this book, you are in for a treat. Grab a copy from Bard or from Bookshare and be ready to take part in the Tri-State Book Club on Saturday, January 21 at 11 a.m. on the KCB Zoom line. Blind and visually impaired people have been using the IRA app on their smartphones to read mail and instructions, identify bottles and packages, locate misplaced items, match clothes, navigate indoor and outdoor surroundings, shop, solve computer problems when the speech doesn't speak, and so much more for over five years. In 2023, IRA is making several changes for their pricing plans. Their job secret service will be limited to one free 30-minute call per day. Non-subscribers to IRA, known as guests, will be able to make one free 5-minute call for any purpose once every 48 hours. Paid subscribers can make one free 5-minute call for any purpose every 12 hours. After January 16, 2023, IRA will accept no new applications for several plans including the ACB discount. Anyone subscribed to one of these plans by January 16 may choose to 1. Continue on their plan through 2023. 2. Change to one of the current 2022 retail plans, which are intro for 30 minutes for $29, standard 120 minutes for $99, or advanced 300 minutes for $199, or three, choose one of the new 2023 retail plans to be announced in early January. For more information, call IRA Customer Service at 800-835-1934 or visit www.iraairaio. If you need to join ACB in order to sign up for one of the IRA plans by January 16, you can give KCB a call at 502-895-4598 and we will be glad to accept your membership if you live within our regional area. This week we are bringing you two of the more popular presentations from the KCB convention. On page 2, Matt Salm, KCB president, introduces Clinton Manco, manager of the PNC Branch Bank in St. Matthews. Clint gives us a look at the different scams that are out there by phone and in other ways and suggests how we can protect ourselves from unscrupulous callers. Matt also introduces Paul Edwards, past president of the American Council of the Blind, the Braille Revival League, and the current vice president of the Library Users of America. Paul was our ACB guest for the convention and our banquet speaker. We hope you enjoy both of these outstanding presentations. Listen to Soundprints each week on ACB Media One, the mainstream channel. Our broadcast times are Sunday at 8 p.m., Monday at 8 a.m., Tuesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., Wednesday at 4 a.m. and 4 p.m., Thursday at 10 p.m., and Friday at 1 a.m., 10 a.m., and 1 p.m. You can also listen to Soundprints on the KCB website 
at www.kentucky-acb.org or listen anytime, 24 hours a day, on the KCB Information Line by calling 773-572-6318. For more information about Soundprints and to request a free CD subscription playable on your standard CD player, call KCB at 502-895-4598. Page 2. All right, without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce... Clint Manco, who is the branch manager at PNC Bank in St. Matthews, and he's going to talk to us about avoiding scams. So, Clint, when they call me asking me if they want to buy my property for cash, I'm assuming that is a scam. So, (laughs) thank you, Clint. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. I appreciate it. And thank you. And I'd also like to, you know, thank Carla for inviting me to the event today. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know her over the past several months. And, you know, come to find out, we actually know uh, a number of people, you know, same people. So um, as Matt said, I'm the branch manager of the PNC Bank in St. Matthews. Um, Next year, I'm celebrating my 30th year with the bank. And I've actually been with uh, at the St. Matthews branch for uh, for about 17 years. And so. Um, when I told my wife I was coming today, she said, you know, you need to to make sure that, uh, you know, you start off with some kind of an icebreaker, tell a joke or something funny, you know, she said, because, you know, bankers tend to have like the stuffy personalities, you know, they got a reputation. So, you know, so at my wife's request, you know, I love corny jokes. I love making, you know, wisecracks. So I'm probably not the, you know, the the typical banker or whatever. So. But at her request, I'm going to tell you all a couple of goofy little jokes just to kind of get get the ball rolling here. Okay, so so uh, what do you call it when the ocean commits a bank robbery? Anybody know? It's called a crime wave. So I know, right? (laughs) Uh, Why did the baker rob the bank? Anybody know? Because he needed the dough. All right, one more, one more, and I promise that's it. I'll put, I, I won't put you through this misery anymore. Okay, uh, why did the American football team go to the bank to get their quarterback? Yeah, there's somebody said it out there. So, um, <laughs> so <laughs> well, I'm glad I came a little bit later after after lunch. Then you know, so you don't throw the tomatoes, but. Um, but but honestly, so you know, we're going to talk a little bit, but a little bit today about a topic that's not so funny, uh, and, and that's and that's frauds and scams. And so, you know, as as a manager at a local branch, we see a lot of fraud. A lot of fraud comes across, and we see a lot of our customs customers who are victims of fraud. And so, I really wanted to talk to you all today about some 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 of the common frauds, some of the warning signs, and what to look for. And uh, you know, these are real, real, true issues that we deal with every day. And so, I want to share these with you. I'll share with you some real life stories about how this actually came into fruition, and how, in some cases, we've been able to help the customer to avoid being scammed. And so, and then I'll give you some best practices, but. Um, you know, it used to be that if, if 
the bank, someone was going to come in and steal money, they'd come in and rob the bank. Well, you know, banks lose millions of dollars right now, and it's not from robberies. It's from people who are who are coming in with fraudulent checks, fraudulent IDs. They're stealing from mailboxes. They're getting customer information. So, you know, I, I want to share some things uh, and some stories here with you. Um, one of the scams that uh, we don't hear about as much anymore, but it does still occur, um, is the IRS scam. And so that's where someone just starts randomly calling people, you know, and they start, um, you know, posing as an IRS agent. And, you know, they'll usually threaten you or scare you and tell you that you need to go into your bank and that you need to withdraw a large sum of money. Uh, they'll oftentimes tell you that you then need to go to UPS or FedEx and take this money because, you know, they've discovered an error on your tax return. And that if you don't take pay this overage or this amount of money, they're going to come take you to jail. And one of the things that they always do is, you know, don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone that you're being called because, the, you know, keep it secret. And uh, that's a common theme. And a lot of the scams we'll talk about today is that they don't want you to talk to anyone else because they don't want anyone else to try to talk you through the situation. Um, so what I will tell you about the IRS, they're never going to call you to try to collect money over the phone. They won't do it. Um, they may call you to set an appointment to come into the office, which I hope none of you all ever get. I hope I don't get that phone call either, but they're always going to try to send you a letter in the mail first. Um, so a funny story that happened with this. Um, fortunately, we haven't had customers who that I know of who have been victims of this, but I had a customer who was in the bank. Uh, this happened a couple of years ago. And when he was in the branch making a deposit, his phone rang. And uh, fortunately, he, he, he was aware of this scam. And so I hear him on the other end saying, you are? Okay. You're going to send the police? Okay. Well, I'm at the bank right now. Let me give you the address where the bank is. And you come get me right here. I'll just take the money out here. They hung up the phone. So, uh, <laughs> and the police didn't show up, by the way. So, that is one that we don't hear as often, but it does happen. And I do know that, you know, there are, are people who fall for it because you hear IRS and you immediately think, oh my goodness, you know, they're, they're coming after me. So, and the thing that I want to really stress to you guys is that, um, you know, these folks who are doing this, this stuff, they prey on anyone. So, I've had so many customers who have over the years fallen victim to some sort of a scam and said, I don't know what happened. I, I would never do this. I would never do this. Even the savviest of people fall for these kind of scams. And it's because, you know, they find something that you're vulnerable about and they prey on that. So, um, you know, that they go after anybody, young, old, it doesn't matter. They don't care. So um, another scam that we see that has really been showing up a lot lately is that there's a computer virus scam. And so a pop-up 
will appear on your screen if you're on the computer, and it'll tell you that your internet protection has expired or that your computer has been infected with a virus. Uh, a lot of times this pop-up, will, it'll, it'll ask you to call a number um, or click a link, and then it ends up, you know, if you click the link, it ends up sending you to a chat room. If you call the number, someone answers on the other end, and they're basically telling you, yes, your, your internet protection is expired. There's viruses on your computer. They're posing as Microsoft. Just let, let me help you. Let, give me access to your computer, and I'll go in, and I'll help you. I'll clean your computer. Well, they do more than clean your computer. In some cases, they also clean out your bank account. And so um, I will say that we have had a number of customers who have fallen for this scam over the recently. Um, and, you know, they go in, they get access remotely to your computer, and then they try to sign on. They hope that you've got your banking information saved, you know, so that you don't have to key in your user ID or your password. And then they'll go in and try to either sell some money out of the account or send an online payment or something like that. So, um, this is something you got to really, really, really be cautious of. Um, anytime that you uh, allow someone remotely to access your computer. So uh, be very careful of these pop-ups. But, um, you know, we've, we've had customers who unfortunately have been victims to this lately. And, and unfortunately, by the time they get to the bank, you know, sometimes it's too late. Um, so I, I just want to make sure that you guys, and you may have heard of that, but I just, I want to bring awareness to any of these things I can think of while, while I'm up here. Um, an, another scam that it's coming. How many people shop at Amazon? You know, probably a lot, right? Yeah. Well, now, and I, I absolutely, the automated calls, uh, the text messages and email claiming to be Amazon.com, and they want you to call them um, because, and they tell you that there's suspicious activity on your Amazon account. And so they may even provide you with a fictitious reference number and claim they're working with your bank. And then they'll transfer you, and I say that loosely, they'll transfer you to your, to your bank so that way that banking employee can help you make sure that you're not, your account hasn't been compromised. Well, what they do is that banking employee is someone sitting at a desk right next to that person and they're getting your account information so that they can try to go in and compromise your account. I had a gentleman, this was about two weeks ago. Um, my particular branch, we have a podium at the front door when you come in. And so where we can welcome customer, every customer that's coming in. And a gentleman came in and he was frantic. He was just a nervous wreck. And he said, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they've got, they've got to hold my account. They're, 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 they're getting, you know, just really nervous. And so, you know, I need to talk to somebody. I need to, I need to stop this. Okay. Okay. So he has a seat and I hear him, you know, I'm waiting to get him in contact with a banker so we can help him get this. And I hear him saying, no, 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 I'm at the bank right now. No, I don't want to go out to my car. No, I'm okay. I'm sitting in the bank right now. I don't need to go out to my car. And so at this point, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm getting a little apprehensive 
And I'm like, sir, I said, are, are, are they trying to get you to, to go out to your car and talk to them? He says, yes. He said, and he explains the situation to me. This is Amazon calling and da, 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 da. And they, they're saying that they're already working with your bank. And I said, why don't you tell them you're at the bank and the branch manager wants to talk to them and hand me the phone. And so he does that. And then the next thing I know, I hear him saying, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> they hung up. So, um, so sometimes it's just a matter with some of these folks of, uh, you know, they, they're relentless. Now I'll tell you, you know, and they will continue. They'll call you back and they'll call you back. I don't think he got any more phone calls back because, you know, he told him he was at the bank, but, um, but that has frequently been happening. Um, one of the scams that is really, uh, this is one that I think has affected probably um, a greater deal of my customers, at least at my branch. And it's, it's known as what we call it as is the grandparent scam. Okay. And this one, um, I've got a couple stories I want to share with you on this one, but if you've not heard of this, this is basically where you get a phone call from someone oftentimes claiming that there's an attorney. It's an attorney on the other line. Uh, sometimes they'll actually pose and try to say that it's your grandchild calling and that they've either, you know, driven out of state or, or they've, you know, gone out of the country or whatever, and that they're in jail. They've been involved in some sort of a crime where they're at or a car accident, and that this attorney is willing to help them, but uh, he needs grandma or grandpa to send in cash some money so that way this attorney can help him get out of jail. Um, they're also... Please don't tell mom and dad. I don't want my mom and dad to know. I don't want them to worry. Don't say anything, please. And so it's, you go into the branch. So what they're trying to do is get that person to go into the branch, the bank, withdraw a large sum of money. And it's usually five or $10,000. Um, so it's not, you know, $100. I mean, it's a, a large sum of money. And then FedEx that money to a Dropbox or a mailbox, or a, some sort of drop-off somewhere in another state. And then when the attorney gets it, the attorney's going to make it all go away. Well, unfortunately, that's not what is what happens. And it's also not your grandchild in jail. And, it, and you know, in some cases that I'm going to share with you, I've got three cases where, where within the past year, my branch and I have specifically dealt with this issue. And I want to share let you know kind of what the different results was in all three of these. The first one was basically a customer that came in who said she needed to withdraw a large sum of money and would not, we knew who the customer was. She would not let us, she was not very forthcoming. So what I will tell you is I can't speak for every single bank. What I will tell you is that when we have a customer that comes in who withdraws a larger sum of money than what they would normally would typically be in their transaction history. We will try to ask, not because we're trying to be nosy, but we'll ask a few additional questions because it's our job to protect our customers. And so she was not very forthcoming. 
um, we noticed that she had just gone to another branch before she came to our office and withdrew about $3,000. And she was coming to our branch to take out another seven. Um, so we, we know this is our customer. We identified her, um, tried to ask some additional questions. She wasn't very forthcoming, but our hands are kind of tied. If our, if our customer's there, we know who she is and she wants to withdraw this amount of money. So we did give her the money. However, we saw that there was someone else on the account with her. And so the someone else was her daughter. And we reached out to her daughter and we let her know, I just want to let you know that your mom is just in here and she seemed kind of nervous. Uh, she wouldn't really give any information. We're just concerned because there's a lot of fraud that that we do see. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times elderly customers are victims of a lot of that. And so she went looking for her mother. She called her mother. Her mother was at the post office getting ready to send that $10,000 in the mail to this attorney. Fortunately, daughter got there in time and stopped it. And then mother explained, well, here's what's going on. And, you know, the child was not out of state. The child had not been in an accident. There was nothing that had happened. Someone was totally posing um, as her grandchild to try to get her to send money. And unfortunately, in that particular situation, um, because we did intervene, that customer did not lose that $10,000. Had that money, you know, we could have, you know, just, well, we know this is our customer. That's kind of, you know, her issue, you know. But fortunately, there was someone else on the account that we could reach out to, you know, without breaking any sort of privacy. Um, and we were able to prevent her from, and that customer, as you can imagine, was extremely grateful after that. Uh, we had another customer who came in, uh, who had come in and got $5,000 the previous day. He was in our drive-thru. Um, the teller happened to notice that he was in, he was requesting $10,000 on that day in cash. We asked him to come in. The assistant manager uh, had a conversation with him, um, explain the situation. No, no, no. I, I'm positive. You know, I, I understand. Thank you for looking out for me. I really do appreciate it. We even explained there are scams like this that are going on. No, I, I'm positive. Something about it just didn't feel right still. And I went out to him and I said, you know, can I, I said, I just want to make absolutely certain. I said, I just have a really bad feeling about this. I said, do you mind sharing with me what your, your look, because you took a large amount of money out yesterday. You took a large amount today. You don't typically do this. Is there something that's happened? Well, I will tell you, my grandson called. He's in jail. Da, 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 you know, and I said, well, um, I said, have you called his parents to confirm where he's at? No, he told me not to. I said, I, I promise you, this is a scam. I said, I promise you. And so he made a phone call to the grand, you know, to his children, I guess. Uh, grandson's fine. Grandson was not in jail. And unfortunately, this poor man had sent $5,000 the day before. Now, 
he didn't send another 10. We were able to catch that. But he, you know, they had called, got the money, called him back the next day and said, well, it's going to cost more than we thought. So we need you to send another 10. So um, I want to share with you guys a couple of quick tips. You know, those are some really, you know, they're heartbreaking stories. And the last thing we want um, is for anyone to be a victim of a scam. And so I'm going to kind of give you some, some suggestions, some cues, some clues to kind of look for, um, you know, when you're dealing with customers, when you're dealing with folks, and if it doesn't sound right, the first thing I'll tell you, if it sounds to be too good to be true, it usually is. You know, if you get a letter in the mail that says, hey, you just won the lottery and you didn't buy a lottery ticket, you know, be careful, <laughs> obviously. Um, th there's a lot of lottery scams that go around too. Um, if you weren't expecting to receive it, it's usually not legitimate, okay? So if you weren't expecting to get a check in the mail for $10,000, don't deposit it. it. It's probably someone that's, there is a reason why you got this phony check in the mail. Um, if you get a call and the person's trying to get you to do something, and we've already discussed this a little bit, but if they tell you not to tell anyone it's going on, it's probably a scam, right? Um, if you're what I call your spidey sense, if your spidey sense is going off and you know, someone's asking you to do something, run it by somebody else. Ask, call your bank, preferably, and say, hey, you know, I got a call, you know, and, and someone's asking me to do this. Is Does this sound right? Does this sound legitimate? Um, build a relationship with a banker, regardless of what bank you bank with, whether it's PNC, whether it's Fifth Third, whether it's whoever, you know, build a relationship with a banker and someone that you can call on, that you can call up and say, hey, you know, and, and that you you can get a pretty quick turnaround response. You can just run a second opinion by. And then the last thing I would say is, if your bank does ask you questions, while those sometimes can come across as intruding or intrusive or come across as nosy, they're probably asking you because they wanna make sure that you're not a victim of a scam. And so, um, be careful out there. There's there there are a lot of things that that go on with scams. Um, the other thing I would say is be careful when I don't know how many people drop mail in a blue mailbox. You know the the big mailboxes that sit out there, but there's been a lot of mailboxes that have been broken into lately, and people are getting in there and they're they're stealing checks and they're altering checks. And you write a check for. $200, they change it to $2,000 and it goes to your account for $2,000. And so, you know, just, uh, yes, yes. So they, somehow they wash that check. Um, I'm not smart enough to do it. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't try it, but it, you can usually tell, but if it's going through, you know, some, what they're doing with those checks is they're opening bogus accounts somewhere else and they're depositing your author check into an ATM. ATM's giving them credit for the money, they're taking the money out, then the check finally goes to your account for the incorrect amount. So, you know, keep an eye out on, on checks going through your account, you know, because um, that does happen too. Um, and um, 
I just want to thank you all. You know, I, I hope that I was able to bring some information to you that can help you, some things to look for, things to look uh, look out for, um, you know, just as you're doing your banking. But um, I really thank you very much. Matt, Carla, thank you for having me here today. I really appreciate it. So thank you very much. Yeah, does anyone have any questions? I'll be glad. Yes, sir. As uh, on a typical check, you have a routing number and account number. Somebody gets a hold of your check, they go online, how much damage can they do to you? Well, that all depends upon how they're using that routing and account number. So the thing about a check is that technically every time you write a check, whether it's to LG&E, whether, I mean, you are in effect sharing your, your account number, your routing number, it's on that check. So um, the biggest thing to be careful of is to, you know, when you're writing checks is to make sure that you're examining your statement, make sure the checks go through for the correct amount. The good thing is if a check is altered or a check goes through, for example, through, you know, electronically, uh, you know, in that particular situation, if you call your bank within a reasonable period of time, you're not going to be liable for that type of transaction. So that's something that was beyond your control um, that the bank isn't going to hold you liable for versus these other some of these other situations where I mentioned where the, the customers came in and did cash withdrawals and then sent the money themselves. So you are still covered under protection and liability of the bank. So the most important thing is to notify us in a timely manner so that we can at that point, because if that happens, we're going to recommend that you close that old account out, open a new one, and then we're going to dispute that charge for you so we can get your money back. Anyone else have any questions? Anyone on Zoom, if you have any questions, feel free to raise your hand. I was just going to say, uh, uh, in our condo association, we had the unfortunate experience of having exactly what you said happen. They got into the mm -hmm. treasurer's account. They got a routing number. They got a, uh, uh, a bank number. And uh, the bank stood behind it. Yes. We had to take change all our account automatic withdrawals. We had to change Social Security. It was an absolute nightmare. So what you're saying is 100% true, and I pray nobody has to experience it like I, you do. I agree. I agree. Thank you. We do have one question on Zoom. Um, ben Wright, you should be allowed to talk. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if you've heard of these, but the Social Security Administration has um, – you always hear about scams through them. Have you had any um, – in, in any dealings with those people will call you and say they're from the social security administration and ask you to do stuff. Yes, we have. And th that kind of goes along the lines somewhat of the IRS scams, um, you know, where they're posing as government agencies. And in some cases, um, and, and I'm not a hundred percent sure if this, if this is what happens with the social security scams, but sometimes They'll even ask you to go to Target or Kroger and purchase gift cards with your with your money and then read those gift card information back over the phone to help 
offset your, um, you know, the the issue or the charge or what you're dealing with. And so, um, yes, we we have run into those as well. Not as often, though, as some of the other scams that I was mentioning. Clint, yes, I get. I mean, we all get a lot of junk mail, junk email. Well, junk mail too. But um, if if you have a if you have an internet a, account, an email account, you're going to get junk mail. So, do you have any um, tips on what makes it what makes it real and and something to look for uh, to know that it is a scam email instead? Sure, absolutely. So. Um, and and sometimes you'll get these emails. Um, another one from a bank as well. You know they kind of fall in the same line. You know, um, oftentimes there are some things such as there's several different fonts on the email that you're receiving. So where they have copy and pasted certain information from other documents to try to make it look legitimate. A lot of times you'll see misspellings on those emails. That's another common thing to look for. Um, and they're also oftentimes worded a little, mm, you know, yeah, a little strange, you know, it's like the way that you read it or the way that it sounds is not how you would expect to receive a letter from, from a Norton or from a bank. And so those are really the kind of the, and obviously, of course, if you're not expecting a, an invoice, you know, from Norton, then, you know, in that situation, what I would do is, you know, actually, you know, maybe Google search Norton's, you know, their their customer service number, you know, their billing department, and just give them a call. Thank you very much, everyone. I really appreciate your time again. It's been a pleasure sitting here with you today and, and having this discussion. Thank you very much. Page three. I do want to introduce our guest speaker for this evening. Uh, our guest speaker comes to us from sunny Jacksonville, Florida, where I'm sure it's probably 70 degrees right now, unlike here where it's 30 degrees. Paul has served as past president of ACB. He's been president of Florida Council of the Blind. He's very involved and you know, very connected with several affiliates, BRL, Lua. I'm sure there are lots of others that I'm that I'm missing. But uh you know, he's I I saw that he just got appointed to a state commission for the state of Florida. And I guess used to work for Access Services at Miami-Dade College. Is that right? It is. Yes, sir. See, you can find a lot on the Internet about people. <laughs> but above all that, I hope that, uh, not to build you up here too much, Paul, but uh, I hope that, you know, you'll, you'll leave us with some wise wisdom from someone that has traveled many roads and been through been through many battles so ladies and gentlemen paul edwards well thank you so much sonny <laughs> it's so kind of you to introduce somebody who can talk a little bit <laughs> so 
Thank you very much for that really nice introduction. Um, it's difficult to know exactly how to incorporate the cruise motif into what I want to say, but I've decided I've figured out a way. I thought that I would begin by talking about some of the more interesting experiences that I've had cruising, um, and I've done that a couple of times. The first time I cruised, um, I cruised on a ship that had no braille on it and, and got to know just how much I missed it. When you're on a ship's elevator and you're trying to get to a particular floor, it is disconcerting when you get off and have to say, is this the, uh, the, the, the deck where you get food? People say, what's wrong with that guy? And um, it's also a little disconcerting when you're trying to find your cabin and there's no Braille label, and the numbers aren't raised, so you can't read the print. So you sort of count doors and hope you get it right, uh, especially after eight margaritas. So cruising was interesting, and then the next cruise that I took, I made it because they had Braille but it was wrong but it was it was wrong in the wrong way from my perspective so i knew they had braille so i didn't look at my room left my room came back after my quotient of eight margaritas went to the door that was marked with my cabin number tried to put my key in didn't work and then somebody opened the door and said, what are you doing in my cabin? <laughs> and uh, I said, this is my cabin. And they said, the heck it is. <laughs> and proceeded to tell me that, in fact, the Braille number was wrong and there wasn't a print number. So there it was. Uh, anyway, cruising is fun. I love it. It's, it's great. But there's other cruising that goes on, and I want to spend a little time talking about some of that. Some of the cruising that goes on happens through time. And the history of our country, in a sense, is a cruise. From our beginnings as a colony of another country, where freedom didn't matter, where slavery happened, a country that was formed, though, out of a unique and exciting notion that all men are created equal. It was easy to say that in a constitution, but it's been very hard to live up to the notions that are involved in that statement as time has gone on. And one of the intriguing things about looking at the history of our country is to take a look at the way that blind people have been regarded and treated throughout the history of our country. In the 18th and 19th century, blind people were regarded as nothing but a disadvantage by most parents. They, for the most part, weren't given an opportunity for education and often were perceived as being incapable as well as visually impaired. When we finally began to see schools for the blind created in this country, 
for a long time, they didn't teach the kinds of things that would enable blind people to be independent. Instead, they taught us to be dependent, and they taught us that the best thing we could do in order to be effective citizens of the United States is three things. Be quiet, do what you're told, and don't have babies. It's a scary time. Because as a population, those of us who were blind perceived ourselves and were perceived as essentially burdens for our families, for our communities, and objects of charity. We can help the blind because God knows we don't want to be there. In the 1940s, Blind people were among the first populations to begin to develop and implement consumer organizations. Though the books don't say it, long before any other disability organization ever thought of talking about civil rights, people who were blind did. And it's important to recognize that the National Federation of the Blind and the American Council of the Blind have, ever since 1940, stood for making a difference in the way that blind people are perceived and in the way that we perceive ourselves. They say that history is supposed to move in an arc that leads to progress. I think that's true, but it takes an awfully long time. And it doesn't always get there. 20 or 30 years ago, as many people will remember, there were still sheltered workshops where it was common to, play, to pay blind people next to nothing in exchange for their labor. In 1979, in Florida, a blind person walking by himself could be arrested as a vagrant. In 1985, we had to, well, let's go back a little further. In 1978, people with disabilities had to demonstrate before a law that was passed by Congress would be implemented. When the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed, only one of the two major organizations of blind people supported it. Hence, for a long time, folks who were blind got less than they should have out of the Americans with Disabilities Act because we simply weren't perceived as being a group that knew what it wanted and that valued what the Americans with Disabilities Act could provide. More important, though, 20 or 30 years ago, there were a lot of improvements that were made. Blind people were responsible for creating the vending program, for expanding it. Blind people were responsible for creating special circumstances for blind people with social security disability and with SSI. Blind people were responsible for creating tax incentives for folks who were blind. Blind folks were perhaps more importantly, 
the folks who created the notion that it's not okay to treat blind people as second-class citizens. It is absolutely crucial that we recognize that as our history has arced towards progress, one of the things that it has meant is that there were huge numbers of people in this country who are blind, who have spent time and pain and effort to make things better for everyone who's blind, regardless of whether they are members of a consumer organization. And I think it's crucial that we recognize and value the fact that just as civil rights leaders for other minorities are revered, we need to recognize that in our organization's history, there are huge numbers of people who have stood up, been counted, demonstrated, fought in order to make life for blind people what it's become today. And that's very important. And I would encourage you, if you would, to take one moment to applaud the heroes of our past who have created the kinds of advantages that we who are blind have today. Okay, so we're cruising along on the ship of state, and we've reached the year 2022. We have a future to look at. Is it a future that's bright for people who are blind? Has everything been accomplished for people who are blind? Do we have all of the rights that we need? Are we regarded as equal? I don't think so. I don't think so. So what needs to be done? Well, Braille is still probably being read by fewer blind people every year. Large print books have virtually disappeared. The internet is becoming less accessible, not more accessible. And every effort that we've made in the American Council of the Blind to suggest that it's time that blind people have equal access to the entity that's probably the most important assurance that employment will happen for blind people is rebuffed by the Congress, by the Department of State, by the Department of Justice, and essentially by every element of national, state, and local government. And regardless of what the Americans with Disabilities Act says, the truth is that we lack the kind of access to resources that we deserve as people who are blind. So what do we do about it? It is my opinion that we have lost touch with some of the basic tenets that our organization grew up with. Those basic tenets involve working together and involve demonstrating to the rest of the country that we are not like the political parties that are currently governing our country. 
we can work together and stand up for the things that we deserve and that we want and that we need. If the arc of history is to move towards progress, it will only do that if everybody works together as blind people to do three things. First, we absolutely and categorically need to recognize that people who are blind must be proud of who they are. And too often we're not. I think it's crucial that we say to each other every day, man, you're amazing. When you cross a street and don't get hit by a car, <laughs> when you go into a store and somebody refuses you help and you're polite, when, when you ask for assistance from government and essentially they say no, when you try to get accessible pedestrian signals and they say we don't have the money, when you're seeking to make paratransit work in a half-decent fashion, when you're aiming to try to get services in a senior center and they essentially say we don't know how to deal with blind people, go somewhere else, when all of these things are happening and we are still proud of who we are and still prepared to move towards equality by gently but clearly saying we won't take this anymore and you're going to make it better, then we improve where we are. The second of the three things that are, is crucial is we must develop and implement clear plans for the future. Not plans that last for two years or five, but plans that look ahead a generation. Where is our country going to be in 30 years? Will we even have libraries anymore? Will we have education that's operating in the same way as it is now? I don't know the answer to those questions, but we need to explore them. There are certainly arguments that can be made that suggest that it's going to be harder and not easier for blind people to find jobs 20 or 30 years from now. What do we do about that? How do we fix it? What plans can we make? We have an organization of blind people, and if that organization does what it is supposed to do, those are the questions it needs to explore. Because somehow, we need to recognize that our country at the moment appears to be in, in a situation where very little is getting done for anybody who truly needs help. And until we change that, and until we say to those who govern us, this is not okay, nothing's going to get better. And the third and last thing that we need to do as an organization of blind people and as blind people is to recognize that the history we make is a history that involves and devolves on the notion that those of us who are blind have something immense to offer the country we live in. 
And what that is, is the diversity, capacity, and capability of a population that more than any other in this country has stood for what democracy represents, what goodness represents, what kindness represents, and what effectiveness represents. So in the future, love yourselves, love your organization, and love our country. Thank you. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Sound Prince. Have a great week, everybody. Thank you.